want us to receive um, Pastor Nigel Desborough as he comes and takes his liberty. God bless you, sir. Thank you very much. That's wonderful. Thank you very much, Joseph. I've heard a lot about CLF over the years, and it's great to actually be here and be with you this morning. It's wonderful. Now, as he said, my name's Nigel, and uh, I got a, a Facebook message from an old friend who moved away years ago. He doesn't usually put things up. And he posted up this week, Nigel, you are becoming a legend. Oh, that's great. I haven't heard from him for ages. Why is he saying that? I'm becoming a legend. It was on the back of the news story, I don't know if you followed it this week, that there's nearly 700,000 children born in the UK last year and none of the boys, not a single one of the boys was called Nigel. So that's why he said I'm becoming a legend. I'm kind of, you know, going back in time. I'm getting old. I've got snow on the mountains and I'm becoming a legend. Now, I Nigel Benn was great, wasn't he? But uh, Nigel Farage hasn't done us any favours at all. But I think maybe we'll come back. We will come back. Now, when I was thinking uh, about you guys and praying for you, I got one word, and it was a name. And that's uh, the book we're going to look at today. And the name I got was Habakkuk. Do you know Habakkuk? familiar with the book of Habakkuk? I think some uh, slides should be coming up behind me. He's one of the 12 minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. How's your Bible reading? How's your Bible reading? Do you stick to your favorite verses? Do you know your favorite books? How wide and broad is your Bible reading? Now, I was challenged a few years ago by a friend of mine that says, just imagine, actually, I can borrow you. I can borrow you. Just imagine that you have been promoted to glory, which is a great way of saying dying. But we don't see death, do we? You've been promoted to glory, and you arrive through the gates of heaven. And the first person you meet is Obadiah. And he comes up to you and says, great to see you. What did you think of my book? And you're like, uh, have I read it? What was, you take a seat now. What was it about? I can't remember how many chapters has Obadiah got. And that was a challenge to me to read the whole Bible. We can meet the Lord in the whole Bible. And let's not ignore Obadiah and Nahum and Habakkuk. And I was challenged to read the whole Bible. And the second slide there is... Uh, one of the best things I've done over the years is read the one-year Bible. You get to read the whole Bible in a year. Uh, it's obviously uh, available as an app now. You don't need the book. But it's great. You get a balanced diet. You get some of the Old Testament. You get some of the New Testament. You get a psalm and a proverb every day. And if you do it every day, you've read the whole Bible in a year. It's really, really wonderful. I really recommend it. So, slide three, what do you know about Habakkuk? Like, how many Ks are there in Habakkuk? What I want you to do is turn to your neighbor, I know you greeted each other already today, and just share what you know about Habakkuk. Now, obviously, Pastor Joe could quote every verse, but just share what you know about Habakkuk for one minute. 
good. It's great to hear the buzz of you talking. Let's just, just get feedback for one minute of what you've shared. This section over here, something about Habakkuk. Shout it out. Vision, okay. Vision, this section, something about Habakkuk you know already. Shout it out louder. Minor prophet, I told you that already. Over here, don't listen to Pastor Joseph. Set yourself on the ramparts. Like that is in Habakkuk. And over here. Say it again. Okay, thank you. God used him. Actually, there's, there's no guilt here because we don't know much about Habakkuk. We don't know exactly when he was born. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know his parents. We don't know his wife or kids if he had them. There's not much we know about Habakkuk, the man. We can surmise that he was a prophet. He tells us he was a prophet. He was probably one of the professional prophets in the temple of Jerusalem. And he's from kind of 600 BC, somewhere around then. Probably a contemporary with Jeremiah or maybe someone like Nahum. But we don't know much about him personally. He was something of a Mr. Nobody. Okay? We can put the next slide up. A Mr. Nobody. And God specializes in using Mr. and Miss Nobodies like you and me. He wasn't a celebrity. He wasn't well known. We don't know his background. We don't know his personal details. He was a Mr. Nobody. But God used him. And, God used and it's a very different thing. We live in a celebrity culture, don't we? Everyone's got to be a celebrity. I was reading this week, Rihanna, she has over 78 million Twitter followers. 78 million Twitter followers just for a celebrity like Rihanna. But I was challenged. I was at studying at Spurgeon's College a few years ago. And uh, the lecturer on spirituality said this, you know, the charismatic and Pentecostal part of the church is the most celebrity driven in the world. That's a bit of a challenge. It shouldn't be about the professional preacher. It shouldn't be about the celebrity. And the good thing is that Habakkuk wasn't a celebrity. And the good thing is that God specializes in using Mr. and Miss Nobodies like you and like me. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's good news. So can God use you? Habakkuk prayed. Can you pray? Habakkuk heard from God. Have you ever heard from God? God can use every single one of us. And that's what it's all about. It's not about the celebrity preacher. It's one thing for one person to speak to a crowd. 
It's another thing for every single one of us to make a difference out in the world because God is speaking to us and we let his word out through our lives. I had a friend, uh, actually Joseph knows him well, Hugh Osgood, and a young uh, budding minister came up to him and he said, Hugh, you know, thank you for your ministry today. I just want you to know God has called me to preach to thousands. And Hugh looked at him and thought, this young man, this is, this kind of pride in his heart. You know, he's imagining he's going to be the celebrity preacher drawing the crowd. So Hugh just humbly said to him, that's great. What if God gets you to do it one person at a time? Pricked his bubble. He wanted to be a preacher to thousands. But talking to people one at a time and all of us doing it is really where it's at. It's what it's all about. Next slide, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. This is the kind of introduction, one verse introduction. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. You probably have something similar. There's obviously different versions in the Bible. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. And that word oracle, in the original language, has the idea behind it of weight or burden. Something heavy that's been lifted up and is being carried. Does that relate to anyone here? God's given you an oracle. It's a burden. He's given it to you. You've lifted it up from God and you are carrying that. That was true of Habakkuk. You can't see that picture very clearly. I was looking for someone lifting a heavy load. I came across that picture and the the image in it is a picture of Jerusalem as well. So that's oracle. Received has the meaning of a revelation and a revelation that specifically has come in visual form. Habakkuk's got a revelation of God's. He's received it and it's come as a vision. And some prophets are hearers They hear what God's saying. Some prophets are more seers. They see what God is saying and doing. And Habakkuk's a seer. He can see stuff. And that word uh, revealed, receiving a vision, is about natural and supernatural sight. You may physically see something or you may have a mental picture in your mind, but the revelation is coming visually. Anyone receive revelation from God? Give me a wave. Any of you see visions, see something, a mental picture or a real picture? A number of you are saying that. It's wonderful to receive revelation from God and to see things spiritually. There's a lady in our church. She's a wonderful prayer warrior. Uh, She's 88. And uh, we just found out two weeks ago she's got a serious brain tumor. And we obviously prayed for her, prayed for her healing, but there is a feeling that God is calling her home soon. She's a wonderful lady. She's lived a good life. Up to three weeks ago, she was driving and going to Pilates classes. So maybe a quick entrance into life in heaven with the Lord is the right thing for her. I sat down and talked to her this week And she's seeing things spiritually. She's always been a prayer warrior. She's always been interceding. But she seems to be seeing in a new way. And she said she was in a hospital bed in King's College Hospital two weeks ago. 
And the woman in the bed next to her, in the middle of the night, she woke up. This woman was struggling. And my friend, Ella, said she could see a spirit leaving this woman and struggling and not wanting to leave, but leaving. She saw it, and she's been sharing that with me. And I was thinking very soberly, maybe that spirit didn't want to leave the body because it knew where it was heading, and it wasn't heading to the right place. But she's getting new levels of spiritual sight, and maybe some of us need to grow in our seeing from God, in our getting those visions. Back to Habakkuk, he opened up his heart and spirit to God. God speaks to him, the revelation comes in visual form, and it's a heavy burden. And if you read the book, we haven't time to read all the verses today, it's about sin in God's people, it's about problems and injustices in society around, and it's about impending judgment coming from an enemy kingdom but being sent by God as deserved judgment. It's a very heavy message. One commentator says this, by using the word oracle or burden, Habakkuk emphasizes this is not a message that he's dreamed up himself. He neither looked for it nor liked it. It weighs heavily on him, but he cannot escape the responsibility of sharing that vision, of sharing that burden, of sharing that word. Have you received a revelation? Does it feel like a heavy burden? And I feel that some of you have, and you've been carrying it. And I feel that maybe you thought, God's shown me this, I didn't want it, and I'm gonna lay it down. And God's saying, I've given you that burden, don't just lay it down and walk away. Pick it up, carry it, but share it with friends and leaders that could stand alongside you in prayer and help you carry that prayer burden from God. Have you had a revelation? Has it been a heavy burden? Don't drop it. Carry it until God answers that prayer and breaks through and comes through in the situation. But get some friends and get some leaders to walk with you in prayer. So we've got to do what Habakkuk did. He took it to the Lord in prayer. And if you look into the book, he starts to pray and we need to take it to the Lord in prayer. Now, there's three little expressions there. What does WWW stand for? Wide Web. How about PhD? Doctor of Philosophy, a bit like Joseph Boadu. How about ASAP? As soon as possible. Actually, I think God has sown kind of spiritual reminders in the things of ordinary life. And actually, WWW stands for Words, Works, and Wonders. Romans 15, Paul said, I've fully preached the gospel by the words I've said, by the works of service I've served with, and by wonders of miracles through the Holy Spirit through prayer. So every time you see WWW, think words, works, and wonders. Am I sharing the words of the gospel? Am I doing the works of the gospel, serving and loving people? And am I praying for the power of God to bring wonders of miracles in people's lives? WWW, that's from God. 
PhD. I went uh, to see a vicar and his wife, a friend of mine. He said, I've got a PhD ministry. I said, wow, are you going for the kind of intellectual elite? He said, no, I'm PhD. I'm preaching healing and deliverance. That's my ministry. So we don't just want converted brains. We want PhD ministry, preaching healing and deliverance. You got PhD ministry. You didn't know that. How about ASAP? That stands for always say a prayer. Always say a prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what Habakkuk did. Actually, always say a prayer and as soon as possible. So both. It works for both. But the message from Habakkuk is to take that burden, take that revelation, take your concern for the world and take it to the Lord in prayer. Always say a prayer. I think I'm probably preaching to myself more than you. I try and fix things my own way and then pray later. But you guys, you're, all of you are up at 5 a.m. online and praying together every day. And I'm just blown away by what I'm... Uh... But you had that word today, if my people humble themselves and pray. You had that word today. So take it to the Lord in prayer. ASAP, as soon as possible, always say a prayer. Next slide. So what's Habakkuk's prayer? I've got those three verses. We had the one verse introduction, and now this is his first prayer. We're not going to read every verse in the book, but we'll read these few verses. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. The law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. You may feel those words resonate with you when you think about some of the injustices and violence of our world. And that's Habakkuk's first prayer, or it's called a complaint, because he's complaining about what's happening. He is distressed at the situation he sees around him. He's distressed at the violence. He's distressed at the injustice. He's distressed at the destruction. He's distressed at the conflict between people. And if we think about Habakkuk, he was in Jerusalem, the heart of Judah, and he was in the temple in Jerusalem. So I could say a kind of parallel was his distress was about the state of God's people in worship and the state of society around him. And we can maybe share those distresses, the state of the church and the state of the world we live in. I was thinking about concern about the state of the church. I remember speaking at a weekend away for a church down in Surrey, and God was there. He was gracious. I think people received his spirits. People had some issues and problems, and God met them and healed them in their hearts, and I hope God encouraged them. And I picked up a newspaper a few months later, and that church was in the news. I thought, wow, you know, is it revival? What's happened? The reason the church was in the news, it was an Anglican church, and the vicar just wanted to free things up and take the pews out of the church building. 
and some of the parishioners had got together and they were taking the vicar to court to stop him moving the pews. And that was the issue. And I'm just thinking, goodness me. The church is playing games. There's a world to win. There's violence and injustice and a lack of the knowledge of God in the world. And this church are just playing games. It's terrible. People talk about rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Concern about the church. People falling out. I'm sure it never happens here. Joseph would never allow it to happen. We had a little situation came into my mind. This woman uh, had had an, a kind of upset with a guy in the church. It's not a relationship thing, but just a kind of upset. And she thought it was like 10% her and 90% him. She thought, what do I do about it? But she felt convicted. She thought, I'll go and apologize. And so she went up to the guy and said, I'm sorry for what I did. And he said, fine, I accept your apology. I met her. She was furious. <laughs> she was worse than she was before. And, you know, I apologized to him, but he didn't apologize to me. I said, hang on. If it was a genuine apology, you release it. You can't govern their response. He didn't think it was his issue. He thought, that's nice. She's apologized to me. I accept it. She was furious that he hadn't apologized because it was 90% him and only 10% her. These kind of things, we were trying to plant a church uh, in East Dulwich and there was a, a guy and he was using the community center in the perfect place on the estate. And I said, who's in your church? And he said, me and three of my family. No one else came. But he was taking that ground and stopping other churches starting. The church could be playing games. The state of the church isn't necessarily great. I don't know if you read about Joel Osteen. I don't know what the right thing is. He got a lot of bad press saying that Lakewood Church wouldn't let people in to escape from the floods in uh, Houston. And he kept the doors of the church shut. And a lot of bad press went out and then they opened the doors of the church. It could be either way. It could be that they thought the church was gonna flood and they kept people away for a good reason. But it didn't look good that one of the richest churches in the world didn't seem to be opening up to people in danger of flooding. Lots of issues in the church. We talked to a friend, she's called Miriam Swaffield. She works with students in this country. And she's going around preaching on, you know, the, the, the 99 sheep and the one. And she says she's done research in this country and young people, kind of 20 to 25 bracket, those of them that are really going on with God and those of them that are active in church, it's just the one. 99% are not. Only one is in that kind of age group around this country. It's not true in this church. Praise God. But overall in the country, that's the kind of thing they're picking up. It's not great, is it? It's not great. There's many more things I could say. I don't want to go on about it too much. But the other thing just came to mind was uh, probably about 30 years ago, I started to hear uh, the stats, mainly from America, about divorce rates. And it was like just as bad in the church as in the world. I thought, no, that should not be the case. 
the covenant of marriage is a picture of the covenant between us and God, and that's being broken in church, and God's name is being trashed in the world. That shouldn't happen. I don't want to put any false guilt, though. There's a lot of innocent parties in marriage breakups, but we should do better. And I kind of feel a bit better standing here because uh, had quite a difficult time with my wife this summer, but then we got it sorted a few weeks ago, came through that one. So I feel I can say it now, but I want to be honest that, you know, I haven't got my act together. It's like that. I'm always convicted by that uh, story of a preacher coming out to church on Sunday, and he's had this argument with his wife, and uh, he thinks, I've got to get and do my sermon. Come on, I can't sort this out now. haven't got time. So he goes to the door, walks out the door, and the Holy Spirit says to him, you were in the wrong there. You go back and put things right with your wife. He said, no, I can't do that, Holy Spirit. I've got to get to church. I've got a message to give. So he walks halfway down the path, and the Holy Spirit says, you need to go back and apologize to your wife. He said, I'll do it later, Holy Spirit. I've got to get to church. I'm trying to think about my message. I've got to be prepared. I've got to move on. And he goes to the gate, and the Holy Spirit says, go back and apologize to your wife. And he says, no, I can't do it now. I'll do it later. And the Holy Spirit says, Okay, you go to church and I'll stay at home with your wife. <laughs> so he turned around and he went back and got that sorted out. And there are problems in society as well. I don't need to enunciate them. We're concerned about knife crime. We're concerned about family breakdown. We're concerned about the quality of leaders in our country. And uh, there's a, a story in the early Alpha course about faith and this man falls off the edge of a cliff and he grabs a branch and he's holding there for his life and he cries out to God and he doesn't really know God he just cries out Lord if there's anyone there answer me and God says to him it's okay I'm here you can trust me just let go and he looks up and says is there anyone else up there is there anyone else up there? That's what I feel about leaders in our country. Is there anyone else up there? There must be some better leaders than the ones we've got. So there are issues in church. There are issues in society. And Habakkuk takes them on board and he cries out to God. And I want to say a few things about that. It's right to have those concerns. And I hope you are concerned. I believe you are concerned take those concerns to God in prayer. If you're carrying a prayer burden, if you're praying for your husband to come to know the Lord, if you're praying for your kids to come back to God and follow him wholeheartedly, take those prayers and concerns to God. The next thing is, you know, why aren't you moving, God? Why aren't you moving? And from our perspective, God takes time to fulfill his purposes. But he's patient with people. It's taking time. You're not seeing it at the moment. But God is still working out his purposes and he's patient with people. There's a young man I know connected with our church. He became a Christian in prison. He's got loads of issues in his life and you think, condemn him, write him off. 
But no, God is patient. He doesn't just slap people down. The latest discipleship issue is he, he kind of realized that it wasn't a good idea to, when he was short of cash, to take his gun and go out and mug someone on the estate. That was the, the issue that God was dealing with him in discipleship. You could condemn him. You could say he should have sorted that out when he came out of prison. But God is working. His girl is giving him grace. And the good news, a couple of weeks ago, he took his last two guns and went and put them in a police knife bin to get rid of them. God gives time to people. So you can think, why, God, haven't you sorted my situation out now? People were standing, wanting a breakthrough. Why, God? Why aren't you sorting out society? Why aren't you changing the church more radically? Why aren't you breaking through in my situation? But take it to God in prayer, and sometimes things take time. Is God listening? Actually, verse 2, the first thing he prays is, you do not listen. I don't think that's true. I think God does listen. Daniel 10, Daniel starts to seek God, doesn't he? Nothing happens for three weeks. But when the angel comes, he said, God heard you the moment you started to pray. But it's taken me three weeks to battle through against the Prince of Persia to be here and to show you the answer. And the other thing about Habakkuk is unwanted answers. Have you ever got an unwanted answer to prayer? God's answer is the nation is going to be judged. And Habakkuk didn't want to hear that. But it was God's answer. Maybe you're battling because God's, uh, you've put something up to God and God's given you an answer but it's not the one you wanted. Ananias was praying and God said, go and pray for Paul and uh, pray that he'll get his sight back. And I said, I didn't want that. Don't you realize that Paul's killing Christians? You know, this, this must be wrong. But actually, it can be God's answer. It may be, not be an answer you want, but it can be God's answer. And in Habakkuk's second prayer, he complains, you know, and now I'm concerned about the state of God's people. You're telling me that Babylon is going to come and judge and destroy God's people. That can't be right. And God speaks to him again. And uh, he says, even though violent people will sometimes judge the people of God, I will destroy those violent people and ultimately my kingdom will come. I want to finish by looking at a few gold nuggets from his life. This Mr. Nobody who got revelation from God. There's wonderful golden nuggets. And uh, I wanted to look at three. Uh, we won't have too much time. But the first is right in the middle of his prayers and his agonizing about the state of the world. There's a wonderful thing that comes through. And it's Habakkuk 2 verse 4. And it says this, the second half of the verse. The righteous will live by faith. You've got it up there. The righteous, those people that God has called and made holy, will live by faith. And commentators have said things like, this phrase became the watchword of Christianity. It's the key to the whole book of Habakkuk, and it's the central theme of all the scriptures. It's a shaft of pure light in the darkness 
of a violent, unjust, and evil world. So right in the middle of the pain, right in the middle of the darkness, right in the middle of the injustice, a light of revelation comes from God, and he just simply prays out, the righteous will live by faith. And there's a contrast. It says before that something like he is puffed up, his desires are crooked. So those people that turn their back on God, who are self-sufficient, who are trying to do it all their own way, they're puffed up. And if they turn against God and they puff up their own souls, their ways will become crooked. They'll go the wrong way. But the righteous will live by faith. God is going to work through our lives if we're counted among the righteous. There's just three words in the original Hebrew, and those are righteous, go back one, righteous, faith, and live. Just three words in the original, those three words, but they're crucial. And they're quoted three times in the New Testament. So this wonderful little nugget of revelation is quoted three times in the New Testament. So do the next slide now. The first is Romans 1. It says this, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So we get life by becoming righteous, not in our own works, in our own good behavior, but as a wonderful gift from God. And you probably heard that the, the, the Reformation is being kind of celebrated 500 years since the Reformation. You heard about that. And Martin Luther, we don't know if he actually did it, but he wrote out 95 problems with the church. And it, he may or may not have nailed it onto the door at uh, Wittenberg. And that started the Reformation. Why did he do that? There was corruption in the church. And one of the issues was the selling of indulgences. Do you know about that? So they, they believed that you didn't go straight to heaven to be with the Lord when you died. You weren't good enough for that. But you went to somewhere called purgatory. People still teach it today. And then over a long period of time, after you've died, you've got to work your way through purgatory while God purges you. And then the churches came up with this. They said, if you buy an indulgence, if you go along to the priest and give him some money, the priest will pray for your dead relative and they'll get close to heaven. They got all that money and they built St. Peter's in Rome with the funds. And Luther said, no, the righteous will live by faith. It's not paying the money. It's not being good enough in your own strength. It's having a righteousness that comes from God. Galatians 3.11 says, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified. You can't feel the law yourself. But the righteous will live by faith. It's by faith from God. And then finally, Hebrews 10. But my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in one who shrinks back. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And so the, the biggest golden nugget in Habakkuk is the righteous will live by faith. Through faith, 
You're made right with God. You have new life in him. Have you got eternal life? And by faith we follow God and live out the Christian life in this world. And that's wonderful. So the questions are, have you found faith? Have you come to faith? And if you haven't, go and see Joseph afterwards and give your life to Jesus. And the other question is, are you exercising your faith? Are you exercising your faith? Are you living out that faith? Are you praying for people to be healed? Are you praying for provision for people? Are you praying for the work of this church to grow? Are you praying for God to move in the world? I had lots of examples about that, but I've run out of time. But that's a lovely golden nugget from Habakkuk. He's burdened by the state of the world. He's frustrated. He thinks God's not answering. But he takes it to God in prayer. And one of the things that comes out of his agonizing is the righteous will live by faith. By the grace of God in Jesus, you are all righteous. Are you living by faith? What are you in faith for today? What's God calling you to be faithful about? What's God calling you to trust in his faithfulness about? What are you stretching out and reaching out in faith for today? God wants you to be encouraged in that. And then the last two, and we haven't got time to do these justice. Later on in chapter 2, Habakkuk says this. You've probably heard it before. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Now, I think there are people here that need to know the future's bright. Okay, the future's bright. You think it's dark. You're in that tunnel. You've tasted depression. But the future's bright. Habakkuk was in a dark time. But God revealed the future's bright. Who knows that old advert? The future's bright, the future's... Well, the truth is, the future's bright, the future's Jesus. Okay? Whenever that old advert goes through your mind, the future's bright, the future's... Jesus. That's another wonderful revelation to Habakkuk. And the final one is the last part of chapter 3. And that, again, it's, by, it's about faith, and it reminded me of 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. So having had a complaint and then heard from God and then praying another complaint and then hearing from God again, we get the last chapter, and it's probably set to music. It's a kind of prayer-slash-worship song. How does Habakkuk cope being burdened by this world, struggling in his relationship with God, but agonizing in prayer. He turns to God in prayer and worship. And it's wonderful. We haven't got time to read it now, but it's a wonderful prayer or worship song. How does he respond? At the end of the day, the first two-thirds of the chapter, he reminds himself of how great God is. You can read it for yourself. What a great place to start. If you're wrestling in prayer, if you're burdened by this world, if you're concerned about situations, if you're waiting for a breakthrough, remind yourself of how great God is. That's the starting place. And then the last few verses, 
It's not the faith of a breakthrough. It's not the faith of an immediate miracle. But it's the kind of faith of Job is where he ends. And it's a beautiful passage. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And that's the end of Habakkuk. There's been some real golden nuggets in Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith. How are you living in faith? The future is bright. The future is Jesus. The earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And even though in the present time nothing seems to be going right and there isn't a penny in my bank account and my friends have turned their back on me and I'm feeling miserable, even then I'm trusting in God, my Saviour, and he will vindicate me and he will work and he will move and he will strengthen me and he'll make me climb the heights. He goes from the depths of despair to the anticipated heights of engaging with God spiritually. It's a wonderful, wonderful turnaround. A friend of mine at church, I'll finish with her story. She doesn't mind me sharing. She shared it many times herself. She was brought up in a strong Christian family, and then she turned her back on God, went another way when she was in her teens. And she ended up marrying a, a, a Hindu guy. Uh, wasn't a follower of Jesus, got married, had a couple of kids. This was in South Africa. And things were kind of okay. They got a couple of houses, their business, but there were problems in the marriage. He was away a lot of the time. Things weren't going very well. And in the end, it got so bad, she thought, just, it can't carry on. We've got to split. So she went to see a lawyer and talked about divorce. And the lawyer did some kind of research and then said to her, you can't divorce him. And she said, what do you mean I can't divorce him? You can't divorce him. He's married to someone else. You're the bigamous second wife. You're not legally married. So she had that situation. They lost the houses. They lost the business. She had two small boys and virtually nothing left. She shut up shop in South Africa, flew here to London with nothing, and she joined our church. And these verses are very precious to her. She thinks, I had nothing. Everything had gone wrong. But I am going to trust in Jesus. And 15 years on, her boys have done well. She's worked. She's done well in her work. She's a preacher in the church. And God has worked and moved in her life. And she's got the blessing and vindication that Habakkuk was looking for. There's a lot in there. And there's a bit more. Small book, three chapters. Read it at home. The very last slide, I know I've gone over time. One more after that. We didn't have time to go to that. Are you called to broaden your Bible reading? Are you missing gems like Habakkuk? There are 66 books in the Bible, not three. Go for it. You are a somebody to God. You're not just a nobody. You are a somebody to God. 
Are you carrying a prayer burden from God? Don't drop it. Pick it up, run with it, but get people to share it with you. Vision and revelation, receive it from God. Always say a prayer. Every situation, take it to the Lord in prayer. Have you got concern for the church? Have you found faith? Are you exercising faith? There's a lot in there. Let's just stand up and I'll pray and then hand back to close the service. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're a wonderful God and we thank you that you're with us today and we thank you we meet you in every part of your word. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that we will walk out with our heads held high and say, I may be a Mr. Nobody in this world, but I'm a somebody to you, Lord. I pray you'll reawaken all the revelation we've had, the dreams we've dreamed, the burdens we've been given. May we not leave them on the church floor, but may we walk out with them believing you're going to bring them to fulfillment. We've had prayer today, Lord. We say we're believing for breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Lord, encourage us in our prayer life. And Lord, we don't want to say, I've found faith and I'm going to sit down and that's, that's it. I'm going to put my feet up. Lord, show me how to exercise my faith in you and stretch out and reach out in faith even today wonderful lord lord do it all in the power of the spirit strengthen us in you and help us to hold each other in prayer and strengthen one another and stir each other up to faith and good works for the glory of jesus thank you lord amen